Hi, everybody. I'm Matt. And I'm Steve. And this is Marvel Reread Club. Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? (laughs) Well, I'm doing the same as I was when we were just talking five seconds ago. Yes, so let's go ahead and do the second half of December 1964. Oh my God, Steve, this is it. This is the final the final episode of 1964. We've spent so long on 1964. This is it. We're going to finish. We have four more books. I'm going to go ahead and take over for Strange Tales, number 127, The Human Torch and the Upper Love and Thing, Risk Their Lives to Meet the Mystery Villain, who is not named on the inside of the issue, so we will have to keep calling him the Mystery Villain. Who or what is he? And then he... I guess, does he actually have a big question mark on his face in the issue, or is that just on the cover? Yes. Okay, so I guess he is the mystery villain. I guess that's his real name. That takes up most of the cover, and then we just see a little inset on the cover saying, also, don't miss Doctor Strange, Duel to the Death with the Dread Dormammu. Anyone who read last issue knows that the Dormammu story is absolutely awesome, and it's probably going to be much better than the Thing and Human Torch story, but they're still pretending on the cover that we're here for Human Torch and Thing. So then... We begin the issue, Reed is flying in one version of the Fantastic Car, Thing is flying in a different version of the Fantastic Car, and Johnny is flying it under his own power, and they're flying over water. Johnny and Ben are turning it into a race, and Reed's like, no, don't be irresponsible. But Johnny is trying to race so much, and then runs out of flame and crashes into the water, and Reed fishes him out, and Reed's like, you're such an idiot. And Johnny's like, but but we do a pretty good job. Like, don't you remember? I fought the Trapster. I was able to beat the Trapster. It's like, Johnny, dude, I'm... Do not brag about beating the trapture. That is nothing for anybody to brag about. And then he's like, oh, and don't you remember? Me and Ben fought Namor. Don't you remember that fight? It's like, yes, when I called Namor in for a peace conference and you attacked him anyway and fought the guy who was just here being neighborly. Uh, so then neither of these is actually Johnny making a good case for himself. But so then Johnny's like, hey, why do we need a leader anyway? The Avengers don't have a natural leader who is the leader of every issue. Why do we have a leader of every issue? And Reed is like, oh, my God, you people are such idiots. And Reed (laughs) then abandons them. And meanwhile, Johnny and Ben get a telegram. They are invited. Of course, if you want to lay a trap for Johnny Storm, what do you do? You do something involving race cars. And Johnny Storm will blunder into any race car baited trap that you possibly lay out. Both Ben and Johnny are invited to go test race cars out on the Bonneville Salt Flats. And they do, and they get in a race car. I got to say, so this is Ayers penciling Ryan Inks. As always, a good penciler, a great inker, terrible combo. I have no idea why they're so bad together, but they're yeah. just terrible together. But the one panel I really like in this issue is in the middle of page six, where somehow the villain has roped this guy into this as being the guy who waves the flag. And he is waving the flag, and we see both jet cars shoot past him as he's waving the flag. And I think it's a really nice panel in the middle of page six. But so then they realize very quickly, this is a trap. These cars are booby-trapped. They can't open. We can't control them. They're racing towards this big mesa, and they won't stop, and we're about to smash into it. Oh, and and the the guy who is waving the flag and the guy who welcomed them there has a ball cap pulled down low and sunglasses on and a big mustache. I just, we, we just should point that out here because that becomes uh, important later. Oh, you think that's him? You think that oh, is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you not? Uh, okay. I guess it is. 
I thought this was just some confederate or something. Anyway, let's go ahead and reveal the spoil at the end. It's Reed. <laughs> Reed is the mystery villain. So you think this is Reed, who is yes. wearing a fake mustache and I guess is using his powers to change his face and no, change I don't, his voice? No, I don't think they even thought of, I don't think they even thought of the using his powers to change his face. I think they're just like sunglasses, fake mustache, low baseball cap. We're good. Okay, so then, all right, so I guess that's Reed, and then Reed then runs past them, I guess, and gets in to dresses up in a green jumpsuit and attacks them as the mystery villain, and they're fighting the mystery villain, who, yes, has a big question mark on his face, and he can think of everything they're possibly trying to do to stop them and is setting all these elaborate traps for them, and every time they think they can figure out a way out of the traps, it just gets worse and worse and worse for them. And they're like, oh, clearly this villain is so much smarter than us. And then the villain takes off his face mask and it's Reed Richards. And he says, you're wrong again, Torch. Mr. Fantastic could do it with ease. Reed, it's you. No wonder you were able to outthink us and outmaneuver us. What knuckleheads we were. We should have guessed right away. So this was all just Reed's elaborate way to prove to them that they are idiots. And <laughs> that, that it's like, now do you know why I'm always leader of the team? And it says, brute strength and a blazing superpower are great assets to our team. But you lack the maturity of the Avengers, Johnny. And Ben lacks their deliberation. So if you want to call someone they're stupid and you want to be nice about it, one of the best things you can say is you lack deliberation. You know, you're not, I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm just saying you lack deliberation. So then they both agree that, yes, Reed, you should always be the leader. And they head back home with him. The end. So uh, Reed does say your lives may one day depend upon instant obedience. So once again, the whole idea of who is more of a dictator cult leader type, <laughs> Professor X or Mr. Fantastic. But one thing art wise that I want to ask you about on page 10, panel four, middle row panel on the right. Who does, what other artist other than Dick Ayers or Paul Reinman does that panel look like it might have been drawn by? You mean Johnny's face? Yeah, his face and his hand. I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind. It, it looks like Gil Kane to me. Ah, uh, yeah. There's a little bit of Gil Kane there. Gil Kane isn't going to show up actually as an artist in uh, Marvel until I think 66. Um, but, you know, I almost kind of wonder if. He, you know, was helping Dick Ayers out on some of this stuff either. You know, I don't, I don't really don't know about his history before working at Marvel, if he had already been working with other companies or what. But, you know, who knows? He may have been working in a studio with uh, with him. But also, it could just be my imagination. I think it's your imagination. OK, that's cool. OK, this is a pretty weak lame issue. It's forgettable. Nobody needs it. This Johnny Torch series in Strange Tales should have ended a long time ago. It is going to be replaced by a wonderful series, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., that is going to replace it before too long. But we've still got another, oh, I think at least six months to go, or maybe fewer than six months. Maybe we've got like five months left of Human Torch thing stories. But eventually, they will mercifully end soon. But of all the Reed's the Dick stories, this may be the most dickish. This is Reed being... Uh -huh. An absolutely yeah, supreme dick to them. Yeah, I, I mean, he. Th there are other issues that could rival this in terms of just his his verbal abuse, but um, in terms of yeah, just humiliating them like this, tricking them and humiliating them. Yeah, you might be right. Yes, I agree. Not not his most verbally abusive, but his most humiliatingly devious. Yes. All right. So uh, now you get to talk about a much much better story in the second half of this book. 
Yes, I certainly do. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, Duel with the Dread Dormammu, which we had an awesome issue where the whole issue was just this huge buildup to this massive battle between Doctor Strange and Dormammu and the Dark Dimension with Clea. Clea being the only other denizen of the Dark Dimension who we met, and she was just like, no, 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 don't try to fight Dormammu, he's too hard. And Doctor Strange went off to do it anyway. However, this is always a problem in Marvel Comics where people are about to fight and then they have to not fight for a little while longer. So they've spent the whole last issue building up to this big fight. It was just about to begin at the end of the issue. But then Dormammu instantly says, nope, I shall give you a brief period to reconsider before I summon you to your final battle. For I no longer derive pleasure from defeating weak opponents. The sport now bores me. So we put off the fight a little bit longer and he leaves Doctor Strange there. Doctor Strange, it's funny, he no longer, he gets finally at the end of this issue his cloak of levitation, but his current cloak still has the ability to stand up when he takes it off. So he's he has got it standing on its own while he sort of pensively thinks some more. And Clea comes back to him. And at this point, Clea says, actually, there is a good reason for you not to fight Tormammu. Let me go ahead and explain to you the best reason not to fight Tormammu. And we're going to go see the mindless ones. So this is one of Dicko's greatest creations. Dicko is just an endlessly inventive guy. And this is the mindless ones are just a brilliant thing. I shouldn't give sole credit to Dicko. Of course, we don't know how much Lee was doing. So let's say Lee and Dicko created the mindless ones. So then this is, turns out on the edge of the dark dimension, there are these massive stone creatures who all have sort of Cyclops type eye beams shooting out of their heads who are constantly fighting each other mindlessly. They are the mindless ones and they are in an even darker part of the dark dimension. They are on the sort of wilds, the twisted wilds of the dark dimension. And turns out that Dormammu is in fact not an entirely bad guy because he has been defending the dark dimension. He has been keeping the mindless ones pushed back with a force field on the edges of the dark dimension and keeping them from destroying everybody else. And she's like, you can't defeat Dormammu because then no one will be able to protect us from the mindless ones. And Doctor Strange is like, I don't know. That's a really good reason not to fight Dormammu. I wish to bring no harm to this fantastic world. And yet my first duty is to Earth and the ones who inhabit it. I have no choice. I must be true to my oath. So he goes back to fight Dormammu and then he finds out that Dormammu has at this point captured Clea and has got her in huge, heavy bands. And Doctor Strange is like, dude, why have you taken Clea hostage? She really tried to help you to convince me not to fight. And like, dude, she was on your side. She was the one making the case that you were actually helping the Dark Dimension and I shouldn't fight you. And Dormammu is like, silence. First, she shall witness your defeat. Then she shall be the next to die. Dormammu has spoken. And it's like, okay, well, I'm definitely going to fight you now. So then they fight each other. They have an awesome fight of just, you know, too often Doctor Strange devolves into Doctor Strange and the bad guy shooting various light shows at each other. And to a certain extent, that becomes this, but it is awesome. They are, Dicko is doing, showing great imagination in all the various ways they fight each other. Thankfully, this fight does not come down to as so many of Doctor Strange's previous fights have done. Oh, I'll just open up my amulet and that will win the fight for me. But so then what happens is, Dormammu is using too much power to fight Doctor Strange, and he is drawing too much power away from the border that he uses to protect the Dark Dimension from the Mindless Ones, and the Mindless Ones come surging through and attacking the Dark Dimension, and are about to attack Clea, and they're about to attack everybody, and Dormammu, to his credit, is instantly like, okay, forget this fight with Doctor Strange, I gotta protect the Dark Dimension, I gotta rebuild this barrier, and he's trying to do it, and he can't, he's not strong enough to build the barrier, so then Doctor Strange is like, uh yeah, I'm going to help you, dude. You need to build this barrier back. So then Dr. Strange uses his amulet 
to bathe Dormammu in power and Dormammu helps Dormammu rebuild the barrier. Well, at that point, Dormammu is like, dude, you helped me save my kingdom. I needed your help. Curse you, mortal. Curse the fact that I needed your help. Curse the woeful fate that has placed me in your debt. I cannot slay you now. I cannot destroy the one who has saved me. And then Doctor Strange says, okay, well, I've got the upper hand now, so let me just say some things. I'm not going to stick around. I'm not going to try to defeat you. Our fight's over. Just promise you'll never come to Earth and promise you won't hurt Clea, and I will go. And then he and then he says to Cleo, like, what will become of you now? Perhaps there'd be a way to take you back with me. But she is like, she's like, no, this is my world. It is here that I belong, no matter where my heart shall be. Of course, eventually she will change her mind and go home to stay with Doctor Strange, but that will be a while. Doctor Strange then goes and you know, Dormu is like, Yeah, I will never invade your world, but I shall be avenged. There must be a way to avenge to this indignity. So this is setting up. Of course, the massive storyline that is soon to come, the massive 12-issue epic where Dormammu uses his power from afar to power Baron Mordo in our world, but that doesn't start for another couple issues. Doctor Strange then goes home to the Ancient One, and the Ancient One says, hey, you did an awesome thing. I'm going to go ahead and give you two more gifts. I'm going to give you the Cloak of Levitation and the Eye of Agamotto Amulet. Now, what color is the Cloak of Levitation when he gets it on page 10 in your issue, Steve? It is, I mean, it's its usual color, red, and then the, the patterned area is yellow. In the original comic I'm looking at, it's all yellow. It's an all yellow cloak. Really? But uh, that obviously will change next issue. And he gets his stuff, and Ancient One says, you have already been found worthy, loyal one, for it is you who shall replace me when the time comes for me to breathe the final vapors of Veltor. It is you who shall one day become the master. Doctor Strange goes off with his new awesome goodies. And that is the end of the issue. This is an amazing issue. Obviously, it's a huge issue in that Dr. Strange finally gets the two big pieces of his outfit that he hasn't had so far. It's a huge issue in that he, we are setting up his future romance with Clea. It is a huge issue in that, I mean, it's just everything. Just Doromu is amazing. This fight is amazing. It is so clever the way this works out. Adding the minus ones makes not only the plot much more complex, but they make the whole world so much, so much more morally complex. And... Yes. It's a very morally complex story, and it's such a wonderful, after having a whole issue built up to this fight, it would have been so easy for this fight to be lame or underwhelming or, what's the word I'm looking for, anticlimactic, but mm -hmm. it's not anticlimactic at all. It feels like an epic story to pay off that epic buildup, and this is an amazing story. This is one of the all-time great Marvel books. Well, and we get a lot more fantastic visuals, both in terms of what we see of the Dark Dimension, but also what we see of the various magic spells that Strange and Dormammu are casting against each other. Lots of things involving kind of portals and all sorts of stuff like that that really is um, is really stunning. Then also, yeah, all, all the things you were just saying. Now, uh, but also it turns out that the Ancient One has been so weak and in need of protection because Dormammu had some sort of spell over him. And now that Doctor Strange has defeated Dormammu, uh, he now has all of his health and power back. Ah, yeah, I hadn't caught that. Yeah, but that won't last for long. Very quickly, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll I mean, really, Doctor Strange always don't work unless the ancient one is weak. So he'll be funny <laughs> weak again very soon. Yes, yes. Um, I guess they thought they thought better of that after the <laughs> after the fact. Okay. Yes. 
I like how Kuya is wearing high heels. I'm like, I don't know really if you want to be walking in this sort of environment with high heels. I think maybe flats would be a better <laughs> idea. But yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, it's you know really you want you want to have like some hard flooring if you're going to be walking in heels. So in the credits, it says story by Stan Lee, master of macabre menace, art by Steve Ditko, weaver of wondrous witchcraft, and lettered by S. Rosen. Sultan of Speedball Sorcery. Do you have any idea what they mean by speedball in that context? It's a type of pen, isn't it? It's a type, well, I think of it as a type of ink. When I was doing more inking, I would usually use Higgins Black Magic for my brush, and I would use speedball for my quill. Okay, but it can also mean a sort of heroin cocaine cocktail, so that's a humorous <laughs> other way to read the, to read that credit. Which I, I don't I don't know if that was if that term was around yet for that. <laughs> I think we all learned it when John Belushi died, unfortunately. Okay. Yes, exactly. Anyway. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to Tales of Suspense. Iron Man and Captain America. Captain America is going to be battling the assassins, and Iron Man is wanted for murder. So uh, we've set up uh, what's going on here. So in Iron Man, Iron Man suspected for murder. We have one of these sort of allegorical splash pages uh, with an evil looking uh, Iron Man holding a an evil looking giant Iron Man holding a Tony Stark in a test tube. I always like it when they manage to put a little emotion onto Iron Man's face without actually putting an emotion on it. Just the angle of Iron Man's face looks like he's got sort of an evil smile on it, even though it could conceivably just be the Iron Mask, as it always is. I always like it when they can pull that off. Oh, and Sam Rosen gets uh, the short end of the stick in these credits uh, again here. So (laughs) last issue, Tony said, oh, I'm going to have to stay Iron Man forever. And I got the impression that he was saying that because just like, oh, it's too dangerous for me to keep changing back and forth. But now he makes it clear that it's that he needs the extra power boost that's in his transistor power pods uh, in order to keep his heart going, that um, he's gotten to the point where just the chest plate is not enough to do it. At least that makes a little bit more sense why he is saying that. Pepper and Happy are, you know, distraught about what might have happened to Tony Stark after Iron Man last issue just said, "Eh, he just headed off for a while. Don't worry about him. I'm running the place now. So uh, Pepper and Happy are growing more and more suspicious with and angry at Iron Man. Right. So then at that point, Iron Man's like, hmm, you know what? I am a little short on cash. So I'm going to open up my safe here and take out just some dollar dollar bills. And then, of course, at that moment, Pepper and Happy happen to walk in through the unlocked door. And he actually mentions I was a fool not to lock the door. But they then see, oh, Iron Man is now stealing the cash out of the safe. And uh, by the way, on page five, the uh, first panel with that over the cliff modernist house. Is it just me or does that look like Tony Stark's house in the movies? It does. That looks like it's MCU has. Right. Uh, Iron Man had, had said, oh, well, no, I was just opening the safe because Stark told me to. And look what I found. And there was a note that Iron Man has written as Tony Stark saying, hey, yeah, uh, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Iron Man's in charge. Uh, see you later. <laughs> and, but of course, he wrote this with his iron gloves on. So that means it didn't quite match Tony's handwriting. And that means there were no fingerprints on it anywhere. So he, he's just once again under more suspicion. So then meanwhile, we cut to Black Widow and 
Clint Barton, Hawkeye. Widow is trying to manipulate him once again uh, into going and attacking Iron Man. Uh, he goes and sneaks into the facility and, of course, like, finds Pepper at her desk and he takes her hostage. You know, so, I mean, these are both people going to be good guys before too long. Hawkeye's going to be a good guy within, like, a year. And Black Widow is going to then be a good guy a couple years later. But, man, they... So, and, like, right away, like, Black Widow is just a extreme flat-out villain. So, at this point, she does not seem like she is going to be someone who can be made good at all. He is someone who it's made pretty clear that he would not necessarily be a villain if he hadn't fallen over Black Widow, but he understands that he's committing treason. He says, I have agreed to be your ally, my lovely Black Widow, but my heart rebels at the thought of treason. And she thinks it would not be treason, my bold hero. I only serve the cause of international peace. So like he understands, like he is, he said the T word, he understands this is treason. (laughs) (laughs) And it's pretty extreme that they're going to be able to redeem not only him, but also her before too long. But at the end of this issue, uh, I find her, uh, you know, they're trying, it looks like they're trying to humanize her a little bit. more. I guess. So meanwhile, there's some communications back and forth with some of the Avengers about, uh, you know, hey, Iron Man, we're hearing some funny stories about you. What's going on with that? Black Widow is then kidnapped by Soviet agents. Iron Man and Hawkeye continue to have a battle. and. One silly thing here is Hawkeye uses one of his arrows to break a chain that is holding up a Uranus-3 missile, I think it is. Um, And uh, A, Uranus, (laughs) Uh, but then B, this thing starts toppling over when one chain breaks. It's like, yeah, you, you need to work on safety in your plant there, Stark. Anyway, he has to save, you know, keep the missile from blowing up. Hawkeye is able to get away um, after spider after Iron Man's been weakened. And then Hawkeye escapes by, you know, they've established that uh, Tony Stark's place is real near LaGuardia Airport. So Hawkeye shoots a suction cup arrow onto a jet departing LaGuardia uses that to swing to fly across the uh the water into presumably Manhattan, then just is able to let loose from the jet. Did I mention it's a jet? Anyway, but then it turns out that irony of ironies, Black Widow is on that very jet being taken back to the Soviet Union by the Soviet spies for torture and interrogation. And that's where I was saying that she says, Hawkeye, my darling, will they ever let me see you again? And I've never really gotten the feeling that she really has that kind of hots for him, that she's, yeah. you know, may find him, okay, you know, this is a guy I could be partners with, maybe, um, but mainly I'm just using him for my own espionage ends. Primarily a duper dupey relationship. This is Primarily. <laughs> he is he is more her dupe than her sweetheart, but no, she seems to be actually falling for him, and he has certainly had over heels for her, and who knows, maybe those two crazy kids can be brought over to the side of the law. Who knows? So let's go ahead and go back into a couple panels in this issue. So okay. uh, let's let's just take a look at the last panel on page eight. Yes. Yes. So, what the hell? <laughs> what is um, going on in this panel? I think that we are getting a down shot where the camera is basically facing straight down in between that police officer and Hawkeye. 
so that the doorway Hawkeye is running through appears to be upside down to us because of the angle of the camera. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really work. Um, but it, it, it's close enough. I mean, it, it works enough on at least a, an informational level to me that it didn't necessarily jump out at me as, uh, as so ridiculous, but I mean, yeah, you pointed out and it's like, yeah, that, that doesn't work, but I mean, it's certainly no worse than the, uh, Ant-Man cover when the, uh, the red beetle or whatever he was, that cover there with the perspective all weird was worse than this. That felt like a choice there. This feels like just a massive train wreck. This just feels like we've got this, yeah, this sort of panoramic feel where where view is sort of twisting as our eye moves across the panel. This is, we should say, penciled by heck, ink by Ayers, which is not the worst combination. I think Ayers does a pretty good job inking heck here. But he he does a decent job here. He will do a much worse job on at least a few Avengers issues uh, inking heck. Yeah. But uh, this is a perfectly acceptable issue. Black Widow and Hawkeye will turn out to obviously be characters who could sustain a lot of stories going forward. But, you know, the whole suspecting Iron Man of having harmed Tony Stark, okay, fine, you get some some juice out of that. It, it fuels a somewhat interesting story. And the Black Widow-Hawkeye story is progressing at a, in a somewhat interesting direction. But this is overall not a great issue. Right. Okay. So let's move on to Captain America, the Army of Assassins Strikes. As you said, uh, they're not quite sure what they're doing with Captain America yet, but they know he's great for fight scenes with, you know, dozens of goons. So they have another issue where they're like, okay, we'll have another story where it's almost nothing but fight scenes with dozens of goons. So on the splash page, he is being approached from behind by a few goons. And uh, you then see him trying to take them out with a shield. One of the bad guys has a sort of battering ram fist looking thing. And uh, then it turns out that this is not actually Captain America. This is one of those assassins uh, that has been posing as Captain America for a training run. And this is all being run by Baron Zemo. So Captain America, meanwhile is going around the country talking about the uh, importance of physical fitness and exercise to America's young people because, you know, he's got his finger on the pulse. So he is going to give a demonstration with a bunch of combat experts or stuntmen or whatever trying to attack him. And he's like, okay, so this may look dangerous. It may look like things are getting out of hand, but don't worry. We're all professionals. I'll make sure nobody gets hurt. Well, of course, right before this whole thing starts, the the band of assassins gasses the actual athletes who are supposed to come out here and fight Captain America. So now he's got actual assassins out here fighting him, and it takes him a little while to figure out what's going on. So this is sort of a repeat from a couple issues ago in Spider-Man, where everybody thought that Spider-Man was just sort of putting on an exhibition and was just pretending to fight the Green Goblin, and nobody realized that they were actually having a real fight. So this is a similar sort of story here, where everybody thinks Captain America is just putting on an exposition, and it takes everybody, including Cap, a while to figure out that this is a real fight. Yes. And the audience is looking on like, ooh, this this is looking not good. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, Cap told us that it might look that way, so I guess we just sit here. Meanwhile, Rick is here with Cap. And uh, one thing I found disconcerting is actually, I guess this is a couple of pages earlier. Rick says, I'll wait in the locker room, Cap. I've got some studying to do. I'm like, I 
thought that you were just a dropout orphan. <laughs> like, what, what studying are you doing? What school are you in? This doesn't make any sense. Trying to get his GED. There you go. So Rick uh, notices, you know, Rick can tell that this is not right. So he is going to try to do something about it. One of the assassins who's not in the uh, immediate fight comes and tries to take him out. It turns out that uh, Captain America has been training Rick in judo and other such disciplines. So he's able to actually hold his own against the assassins a little bit, which Again, I'm like, eh, strains credulity a little bit for me, but I'll, I'll give it a pass. We see more of uh, Captain America using his glove magnets to uh, manipulate his shield, and he's using it to have the shield do really impossible sorts of things. Right, so anyway, he's able to defeat all of the assassins. Uh, the cops then come in. Rick comes in with the cops and says, holy cow, how'd you do it, Cap? And Cap says, with great relish. <laughs> yes uh with minced pickles and uh yeah so uh zemo is watching on some sort of long distance detectoscope or something like that then but captain america figures that zemo is probably watching and essentially says zemo you're a coward sooner or later you'll have to face me face to face and at that point i will defeat you and zemo pulls an Elvis and shoots the TV. And that's pretty much it. So yeah, there we are. Um, overall, you know, once again, they don't quite know what they're doing with this book yet. At this point, he's only, I'm still moping about Bucky. I'm trying to figure out if, you know, Rick should become like my old Bucky or whether I, because but what happened to Bucky, I don't want him around anymore. And his hatred for Zemo. And that's pretty much all they've figured out for him so far. So they just, you know, second issue in a row where it's just like, let's just go ahead and have a story length, you know, fight scene up against a bunch of goons because we know that works. And then we'll figure something else out later. Right. Well, I mean, we talked about how last issue had, they didn't even have Rick last issue. They had him hang up with Jarvis, who they introduced. And we were like, oh, he kind of needs Rick. But you know, we talked about then he doesn't need Rick as much as the Hulk needs Rick. And so who's going to get Rick? Well, this month we get the answer. Everybody yep. gets Rick. So <laughs> this month we've got, we have Rick with Cap in Cap's book. We have Rick returning to the Hulk in Hulk's book. And we have Rick still with the Avengers in the Avengers book. So we've got three Rick books this month. And eventually you got to choose a side here, buddy. You got to go ahead and dance with who brung you. And the person who brung you is the Hulk. So he's going to have to become a Hulk supporting character and abandon poor Cap. And poor Cap needs all the help he can get because poor Cap doesn't have any other supporting characters. At least here, they acknowledge that Cap's real supporting character is Zemo. Another advantage to this issue has over last issue is that we've got his main villain here. We've got Zemo showing up, even though this is yet another story in which the hero and the villain never actually meet. They just uh, shoot the TV the other one is on. But I think this story is a lot of fun. I think, you know, it's like I said, sort of repeating the conceit from Spider-Man a couple issues ago of people mistaking this for an exhibition. But I think that it's just 10 more pages of Captain America fighting goons, and that's something Kirby knows how to draw the hell out of. Okay, so as we've talked about before, uh, you know, you and I, Matt, neither of us uh, really grew up in a gun family. Like, you know, no hunting, no, you know, uh, basically guns just aren't part of what we do. But as part of that, I have often sort of felt when I was trying to break into comics and doing art uh, that, you know, I had to make sure that someone was holding a gun right. You know, so you have to hold it so that the kickback 
Uh, it will be, you know, absorbed by your, by your hand and your arm and your shoulder, basically, and it's steadied. Um, now, one thing, Jack Kirby, as we know, knew his way around handguns, right, from yes. his time in the Army, if nothing else. But he really does a terrible job with showing people holding firearms the right way. So <laughs> there's this one panel where one of the, uh, you know, group of assassins is coming in and saying, but it's too late for that knowledge to do you any good now. And he's holding this gun down below crotch level, pointing at Cap. So it already looks like that would be a really difficult position to hold your wrist in in the first place. And then if you fired that weapon, any kickback would just (laughs) break your wrist or run your hand back into your own crotch or something like that. But I've always found that a little bit odd that, you know, even though Kirby knows his way around a gun, he uh, never takes that into account with this stuff. Yeah. So I guess it's time to move on to Giant Man and the Incredible Hulk in Tales to Astonish, which is yours. Okay, let's go and do it. And I will I will note that the cover on here is a Kirby cover. Uh, looks probably inked by Chick Stone. And even though, you know, Kirby isn't doing either of these characters anymore, uh, we still occasionally get to see him on covers. Yeah, which is nice. So it says, Giant Man and the Incredible Hulk tales to astonish the Hulk breaks loose and attacks the chameleon. Giant Man fights for his life against the wasp. Why? How did it happen? As you say, it's a nicely drawn Kirby cover. So the Giant Man story, written as if you couldn't guess by now by Smiling Stan Lee, drawn, and here's a little twist for you, by capricious Carlos Burgos, inked as if he knew what he was doing by devastating Dickie Ayer, is lettered as though each syllable is a gem by amenable Artie Simak. So... We've got Carlos Burgos again. Ultimately, I'm not feeling like Burgos should have come back out of retirement. This is not a well-drawn issue. He is not a good combination with Ayers. This is, there's a lot of just glaringly bad panels in this issue. I, you know, Burgos deserves a lot of credit. He created Human Torch back in the day, but I think that time had passed him by. Well, uh, and presumably he also blew a deadline here since now it makes sense what they were saying about, Oh yeah, we were hoping to have an old timer draw this issue. But then at the last minute we had to have Steve Ditko and George Bell crank it out in three days. It seems clear to me that this is the issue that, that they had to replace at breakneck pace last month. Giant man is working in his lab on something that will speed up the aging process for both plants and humans. It, they never really talk about it speeding up any human age cycle, but we see him pointing at a plant and instantly the plant goes wildly out of control and starts growing out of the top of the building and onto nearby buildings. And it is a big mess. Meanwhile, and, well, we, and its roots are going and digging up the ground all around that, all around the building. This is doing massive damage <laughs> to this area of the city. Meanwhile, we meet Second Story Sammy, robbing people's houses, robbing people's apartments while wearing a suit and bow tie and fedora. I'm not sure that's actually what Second Story men wear. And so then he is, I guess, in Giant Man's building above it or? It specifies that he's in a neighboring building uh, up at like the penthouse floor. He's above Giant Man's lab. But somehow these giant plant tendrils come in like grab him out of the place and then deposit him at Giant Man's lab somehow. 
And just as Giant Man's thing blows up and knocks Giant Man into some equipment and knocks him out, second story, Sammy finds him and says, hey, of course, then you always get this problem where you see a hero with his mask off and it's like, yeah, but are you going to know who that is? But luckily, or unfortunately, Henry Pym has his card that says Henry Pym Biochemist. Whose name is the least for this lab in? I mean, clear, you know, it's like, oh, oh, look, it's Henry Pym. Yeah, I'm sure that Henry Pym signed the lease for this place. You know, just that. Uh, anyway. um, but then the other thing on this on this page is we saw the destruction that that the overgrown plant was causing. Hank is thinking to himself, I'm sure glad the wasp is at a movie. If Jan were here now, like to see my mistake with the plant, that perky little pixie would never stop ribbing me. It's like, <laughs> dude, you basically destroyed the building that you're in and many surrounding buildings and the street and probably all of the infrastructure under the street. I think she's going to find out. Okay, go on. So then there's an actual phone number on Henry Pimp's card. I don't know if any kids tried to call that number. I don't know if any poor person had that phone number and was being pestered by it. So then the guy sees Henry Pimp laying there, takes Henry Pimp's giant man costume off. We don't see that Henry Pym is presumably still lying there in his tidy whities now, but well, he's, guy... not. he's not. He's actually, he's specifically, if you look at the bottom of page five, sec- second panel from the end, apparently second story, Sammy has redressed Hank and even tied his shoes back on. <laughs> Why? Okay. So then second story, Sammy is trying to get his, the hang of the shrinking and growing powers and is a uh, truly terrible panel of him in the middle of page five, stretching up a way yeah. out of the top of the building. And he finally gets the hang of it, goes to rob a jewelry store. Wasp shows up. Now, it's been unclear if Wasp has any ability to shrink and grow without Hank doing it for her for the last several issues. But she seemingly figures out a way to shrink herself because she finds second story Sammy stealing the jewels and they get in a little shrunk down fight. So apparently they're both shrunk down at least for a while here. He eventually catches her inside a jewelry box. But at that point, Hank has figured out what's going on. He has woken up. He has a flying ant grab second story Sammy, brings him up to the lab, punches him out goes back down. There is a, the only worthwhile panel in this whole issue is when Hank is hanging out with his ants, you see a cross section of an ant city and mm-hmm. it shows something right out of a fun book for kids which showing how ant cities are built, sort of like you would see if you had an ant farm. It has a room for honey ants. <laughs> of course it does. The wasp eventually gets free and flies back in and bonks him on the head and he grabs her and says, you you nutty little feather brain. Of course, wasps don't have feathers, but okay. You nutty little feather brain. Is that the way you greet the ever-loving Prince Charming who spends all his time keeping you safe from harm? And then she realizes it was actually Hank. And meanwhile, a bunch of reporters come in and Hank's like, oh yes, uh, everything's fine. You know, yes, I destroyed a city block, but that's neither here nor there. And uh, oh, you should meet this guy. And Wasp is like, what do you mean? You're introducing that guy? He's a bad guy who knows your secret identity. What are you going to do? And he says, how could you let him go, Hank? He knew your true identity. She says, not quite, Jen. We biochemists know a few little tricks, too. I just happen to have some memory loss serum lying around. He doesn't even remember he has been a crook. He'll go straight from now on. Like, um, I'm not sure that's how human nature works. And you have memory loss serum just sitting around. Right. It's <laughs> like, basically, it's like you're like Professor X, just going and lobotomizing your ba- any bad guy who learns anything about you. And by the way, you said, oh, yeah, my plant destroyed the entire block. 
if you look at some of the other panels in this issue, it destroyed way more than the block. <laughs> it looks like it probably took out maybe, you know, a quarter of Manhattan. Yes. Oh, my God. I hadn't noticed at the top of page 10, it's going into Brooklyn. It's not just Manhattan. It's stretching all the way across the the East River into Brooklyn. Yeah, that's uh, you basically destroyed Manhattan, dude. And uh, <laughs> you, you seem supremely unconcerned about that. Yes. Yeah. So a terrible issue. No reason for it to exist. We should pretend it doesn't exist. Let's forget all about it. Let's move on to The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk entered the chameleon. So I have to feel bad for Steve Ditko here. Steve Ditko is doing his best at his books, but he knows that kids have to suffer through terrible art in the first half of the book to get to his art in the second half of the book on both Strange Tales and Tales to Astonish. That he's like, oh yeah, well, now that you've read your Dick Ayers Paul Redman comic, or now that you've read your Carl Burgos Dick Ayers comic, then, you know, if you're still around, here's a Steve Ditko comic for you to read. So this is Ditko. You know, again, Bell is not my favorite anchor, but Bell is not really doing that bad a job or Rico on these Hulk stories. Yeah, no, he I, I think he's fine on this sort of stuff. It's just the Doctor Strange stuff where really you know how much you're losing. Yeah, I agree. So then we pick up where we left off. General Thunderbolt Ross has Hulk all bound up in and Dicko does a great job with really making it look like Hulk is really bound up tight oh, yeah. with this uh, big elaborate device. A lot of stuff is happening on page two of this book. I could spend all five of my minutes describing page two of this book. So then (laughs) first we meet the leader. The leader, we don't see his big distended green head yet because he's wearing a big red helmet. But we see the leader who is seemingly a communist at first. He would in fact turn out not to be a communist, but he talks about how he hired the spy who tried to steal the armor last issue, who was presumably a communist. He then hires the chameleon, who is intermittently a communist. But he says, I am here. I hate to stop work, even for a moment, on my latest humanoid creation. So we already have the leader creating humanoids. Says, but I must. Chameleon, this is the leader. The agent I sent to General Ross's missile base is not reported back. I must know what has happened to him. You must leave for the base immediately. So the chameleon does. Meanwhile, we see Rick. We've already seen Rick with Captain America this month. We'll see him in the letter too. But here we see him saying his goodbye to Captain America because the Hulk's back in action and Rick knows that his ultimate fealty is to the Hulk, that he owes everything to the Hulk. He owes his life to Bruce Banner and he's got to go help him. Rick then, once again, as with Tales of Suspense, where Hawkeye didn't realize that ironically he was grabbing the same plane that Black was on here, Rick doesn't realize that ironically he's sitting right next to Chameleon as he flies, as they both fly to go intervene in the life of the Hulk. Rick shows up in the Southwest at the missile base runs into Betty Ross, but I'm sorry, she's yep. not Betty Ross. She's still Betty Brandt. They did He's... not fix that in this in this issue like they did in the previous issue. And as a matter of fact, there's another time she's called Betty Brandt in this same issue. Yes, she is called Betty Brandt twice in this issue. He says, uh, yes, Miss Brandt, I heard he was missing and I thought I could help with the search. So then... The chameleon, meanwhile, becomes General Thunderbolt Ross. He orders all the men to leave the Hulk. And then he realizes he's got to free the Hulk. But he's like, oh, crap, I better go get some acid and a flashlight. So he goes off to get some acid and a flashlight to free the Hulk. But while he's gone, the Hulk becomes Bruce Banner and slips away. And then once Rick Jones helps out Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner decides, okay, how am I going to explain this major absence? I know. 
I'll just breeze my way right in and pretend like nothing's wrong. <laughs> and he just <laughs> walks in and talks to Thunderbolt Ross and Gwen Talbot. And they're like, Bruce Banner, we've been looking all over for you, man. And he says, that's not my fault, Major. I didn't ask you to. <laughs> Banner, where in Samuel have you been? You've got a lot of explaining to do, mister. There's nothing to explain, sir. I was doing some research in the caves nearby and lost my way for a while. And they're like, but don't you realize they're disturbing rumors about you? He says, I'm not interested in rumors, Major. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, the balls on this guy. Oh, my God. He is just he is just breathing. He's just trying to just bluff it. It's like, hey, man, I'm just I'm back, dude. Just deal with it. You know, I'm not part of the military chain of command. You can't do anything to me. Meanwhile, the chameleon then knocks out Bruce Banner turns into Bruce Banner, finds there's a gamma grenade. That seems like a not good thing to have built. Yeah, I know. That, that seems like a really poor choice. <laughs> there's a gamma grenade. Betty, to her credit, although, of course, Stan Lee can only give her credit as in terms of instead of Stan Lee going like, Betty Ross, who is a competent, intelligent human being, says, Betty Ross, possessed by an intuition which only females seem to have, Betty Ross suddenly realizes, you're not Bruce Banner, you're an imposter. So she figures that out, to her credit. Meanwhile, Bruce turns back into the Hulk. Chameleon, as Bruce, threatens him with the gamma grenade. Hulk is not sure what to do, but decides to leap away when he sees soldiers coming because he doesn't want the grenade to be used on them. The chameleon eventually decides to go ahead and use the grenade, tosses the grenade. The Hulk jumps on the grenade heroically. It changes him back into Banner. But nobody sees, because, of course, there's a lot of gas around, and Banner just has to once again try to breeze his way back onto the base, even though they are getting more and more and more suspicious of him. And of course, Glenn Talbot says, due to Miss Brant's testimony that it wasn't really you who menaced her. So <laughs> every single person in this comic is confused about Betty Ross and Betty Brant, who none of them have it, ever it met. Seems strange. I, I don't see any reason why anyone why any of them would have met Betty Brant. No, certainly <laughs> not. <laughs> what well, one thing that I want to point out on page 10, panel four. If you look at Glenn Talbot closely there, look at his hair. Yes. That's Ditko what? hair. Like that's, yeah. that, that's, that's uh, uh, Harry Osborne and Norman Osborne hair. And the Sandman to a certain extent. Yes, yes, exactly. Which, and I find that especially funny because Ditko didn't ink this issue. That, you know, somehow that came across and what he did to get George Russo's to ink it that way. Yes, the power of Ditko hair can shine through even George Bell pencils. But this is a fun issue. Ditko is doing a good job as co-potter and penciler of this book. Bell is not ruining the book with his inks. The chameleon is always fun for switcheroo stories. You know, there's there's always there's always fun to be had in chameleon stories. And the leader is obviously the Hulk's greatest nemesis, who is introduced very gradually here. Um, we just get a little glimpse of him, but the leader and his humanoids are going to be a wonderful source of stories going forward. Yeah, and uh, just one one other thing that just occurred to me to point out, right before uh, Bruce shows up, and he's just like, hey, how you doing, guys? Yeah, no, I don't care about any of your questions. Right before that, he's talking with Rick. You know, Rick's like, oh, man, I'm sorry I left you. That was, I, that was so disloyal of me. And Bruce is like, dude, you did the right thing. You were supposed to leave. You're in danger whenever I'm around. <laughs> just please get out of here. He's like, oh, I felt so guilty leaving you and joining Captain America. I felt like a deserter. It's just sort of like, scram, kid. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you need these 
false father figure superhero types more than they need you. Yes. All right. So, uh, last issue of 1964. Here, getting into the Avengers, co-starring, supposedly, Spider-Man. Enough (laughs) said. Now, this cover, uh, the web that is drawn on here just does not look at all Spider-Man webby. It just looks no. like a high-tech tunnel thing because of just how geometrically perfect the stuff is. It is not messy at all. It is very strange. You know, I get the feeling, I it looks like I could imagine a spider actually weaving a web that looked like this. You get some very beautiful spider webs out in nature, but certainly doesn't look like the sort of webs our Spider-Man usually spins. Spectacular story by Stan Lee, incomparable illustrations by Don Heck, dazzling delineation by Chick Stone, lacrimose lettering by Sam Rosen. So we've got Stone, one of Marvel's best inkers, inking Heck, who is not my favorite penciler. And I don't think it really works. I don't think Stone does a good job on Heck here. Uh, Heck always does, Heck almost always does better when he's inking himself. We will see occasional exceptions to that, but nearly always, even if he's got a good inker on him, uh, m- unless it's Wally Wood or uh, John Romita Sr. I think those are the only two exceptions I can think of in future months. Uh, but other than that, yeah. Giant Man is doing some experimentation. He gets a call from Thor, who is the current acting chairman of the Avengers. And he's like, you got to come down here for an emergency meeting. He's like, dude, I'm in the middle of an experiment. He's like, sorry, this takes precedence. You've got to come in. So he called them in about the alleged death of Tony Stark. Now, they are actually in Tony Stark's mansion. That's their that's their headquarters right now. So as far as they know, Tony Stark may very, may very well be dead. Uh, Iron Man is suspected. Giant Man's like, oh, dude, it's easy to figure that out. I mean, you know, Iron Man's trying to track down whoever murdered Stark. I'm like, oh, you are so bright. So, <laughs> but it's interesting. They, they're referring specifically to the events of Tales of Suspense number 61, which we haven't read yet. According to my sources, that issue did not come out until next year. So they've gotten a little off in their timeline because huh. we just read Tales of Suspense number 60. We haven't read Tales of Suspense number 61 yet, which is okay. the issue they're referencing. I hadn't put that together. So, uh, but at one point, Rick in this meeting says, I second Giant Man's motion. <laughs> Captain America says, you're out of order, Rick. You have no voting privileges with the Avengers as yet. It's like, yeah, we may eventually give them to you like we did to Jan. But <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is one of my this is one of my prime examples of how it, the only way that Kang doesn't just completely destroy the Earth is because he just doesn't understand time travel. So no. on page three. He is, it says, um, and now we turn our attention to the one known as Kang as he stands before a view screen in the year 3000, his heart filled with stark hatred. It says, I've waited patiently for my chance to strike back at the accursed Avengers, and at last it has come, for without the power of Iron Man, they are now at their weakest fighting strength. Dude, you're thousands of years in the future. <laughs> Why did you need to wait? It's... <laughs> it's um, yeah, uh, the, this has always been my, my problem with Kang. So yes. Kang decides that he is going to create a Spider-Man robot. Um, and they, they do mention that he is a descendant of Dr. Doom. So I guess they're getting away from that idea that he may actually be Dr. Doom. Um, but he, uh, and so just as Dr. Doom is a genius in making humanoid robots, Kang is that, but with the uh, technology of a thousand years in the future. 
So he makes a Spider-Man robot with uh, all this power of Spider-Man and the speech patterns of Spider-Man and sends him to the 20th century. So apparently there were some other robots also sent to the 20th century because some of them go and attack Captain America just to set up Spider-Man coming in and helping him out and rescuing him there. So then, yeah, robot Spider-Man then says, oh, by the way, I want to join the Avengers. And Captain America's like, well, I can't do that by myself, but I can bring you back to Avengers headquarters and we can uh, talk about it there. Of course, we have the usual thing between Wasp and Spider-Man with, you know, I hate wasps and I hate spiders and whatever. Um, no, I mean, no, that's not true. It's always entirely on her. She imagines that there is this elaborate hatred between them uh, based on wasps and spiders. I don't think he has ever said anything to that effect at all. But then he says, but then uh, Thor, when he says, you know, hey, Spider-Man wants to join, he says, a most laudable ambition, but we do not accept any stranger merely because he possesses some power or other. Uh, I think that the swordsman and Hawkeye and a whole <laughs> bunch of other people, well, he says there are certain tests and a period of trial. It's like, no, no, you do not do that. So <laughs> anyway, fake Spider-Man then says, oh, all right, well, I know what I'm not wanting. Uh, I was just wanting to tell you where Tony Stark was, but, um, you know, that's it. I'm out of here. Um, so then they make him come back and he tells them, you know, supposedly where uh, Tony Stark is. And so then the Avengers head off at breakneck speed to go to some temple in Mexico. Now, uh, I don't, is this supposed to be the same place that Baron Zemo has been up until now? No, Baron Zemo is in South America. So right. this is, Mexico this is, is quite far away from South America, but uh, this is completely unrelated. They're, they're both, Latin American cigarettes of various kinds. They're just using Zemo as a as a, a pretext for getting them down there. I understand Zemo was mentioned. When did Zemo mentioned? Yeah. Um, on the top of page nine, um, why do you think Zemo would have taken Iron Man to the Temple of Tyrod? So, and I think they had, I think that the robot Spider Man mentioned that at one point in what he was telling the Avengers. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I didn't even know that. <laughs> But anyway, we've got these weird things where the Avengers all have their own idiosyncratic ways of getting to other locations. Jan and Hank hitch a ride on a plane. Now, if they hitch a ride on the inside of the plane, I would buy it a little bit more. But they clearly are hitching a ride on the outside of the jet because they need to jump out into the jungle directly from the plane. <laughs> so like, yes. I don't know how that works. But the other thing about them always taking these separate modes of transportation is that they show up at different times so the bad guys can pick them off one by one. Which you Yes. Know, yes, they, they dearly need Quinjets. Eventually, the Avengers will all fly together when they go places in one big Quinjet, and they desperately need them at this point in Avengers history. Yes. Robot Spider-Man is able to trap ant-sized Hank and Jan uh, after, you know, somewhat of a fight here. So then Thor shows up. He's been flying there, carried by his hammer. Then he's fighting Thor, but then Giant Man and Wasp seem to kind of disappear at this point. So the Avengers aren't actually fighting as a team for some reason. Uh, and I do not know exactly why. Thor has been separated from his hammer uh, by some webbing that Spider-Man has put on the hammer. And then Thor is trying to get his hammer back before he turns back into Don Blake. But he then essentially ends up getting buried in this big ball of webbing. Uh, and so when he turns back into Don Blake, no one can see it. 
All right. So then at that point, Captain America shows up and he parachutes in from presumably a, uh, a military plane. He gets there. Now, this is one of those weird places on page uh, 15 where the dialogue and the visuals don't seem to be matching up. So on panels three and four, the dialogue is saying that Captain America sees Spider-Man and then sees that Spider-Man is pushing this big block of stone down onto him. But there's nothing visually that indicates that he has any idea that Spider-Man is there at that point or anything visually to indicate that, Sp- that the Spider-Man robot is knocking this uh, this pylon down. It just seems, once again, just a miscommunication between the two of them or Stanley didn't think that he, anyway, one way or the other. I, I just always find that fascinating to see yeah. where uh, they seem to be changing or covering for uh, what might be going on there. Kang, watching from the future, sees robot Spider-Man defeating Captain America, but then he's like, wait, has my robot gone mad? Why did he use his web to save Captain America from a fatal fall? And he didn't. Apparently, the real Spider-Man has shown up to defeat the robot Spider-Man. And we have, you know, Kang just on page 17, just with his, like, oh, (laughs) Spider-Man kind of look on his face. Um, But, of course, you know, the whole question, you know, they they say, oh, how did you know to come here? He's like, I know if someone's impersonating me, it gets around town. And so, you know, I just figured I'd let it go on until I figured out what was going on. And then somehow I made it down into the jungles of Mexico, which we don't explain in any way whatsoever. Um, yeah, the, this, this, it basically, so I mean, let's go ahead, jump to the end here, because the, what we find out on the letters page, did you read the letters page? Uh, I don't think we had the letters page in my version. Okay, well, in this case, you really needed the letters page because they explain in the letters page, special announcement section, what the strange scoop? Okay. After we started drawing the Avengers Spidey yarn you've just finished, we, (laughs) you mean Don, we, meaning Stan, got the feeling that some of you might feel cheated because it wasn't the real Spider-Man whom the Avengers were battling. So we dropped everything and changed the ending around until it came out the way it appears in the mag. At least the genuine Spidey does appear in the story now. We never want you to think we're trying to fool you or put something over on you, but we do like to shoot unexpected surprises at you as often as possible. So be on the lookout. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed our little offering this month. We know that we sure did. So there's there's a lot of wheeze in that in that paragraph. <laughs> Wees are doing a lot of work. <laughs> I think that's royal. I think that's the royal we. Yes. Well, I think one of those we's when he says we were drawing the book, he means Don was drawing the book. And when he says we realized this was not good, then he meant me, Stan, realized that no, this is not good. And so obviously Don penciled the book. Stan gave Don however much guidance Stan would give his pencilers. Don then turned in the pages and Stan said, this isn't fair. We're promising Spider-Man on the cover, and this is just a Spider-Man robot who presumably the Avengers originally defeated all on their own and flew back home. And then Stan had a good thought that he was like, no, it should, the real Spider-Man should show up and should defeat the robot, help defeat the robot, which I think was the right narrative instinct. I think it would have been good if you could have given that guy, given him that guidance up front, Stan, before he drew the issue or before he got halfway through drawing the issue or whatever. But instead, you made him hastily retraw the issue to have the actual Spider-Man show up. One problem is it now makes no sense that the issue is set in Mexico. You should have just had the whole thing going down in New York and that it would have made more sense for Spider-Man to show up. The other 
big problem, I interrupted you before you got to the end of the issue, is that I talked about how much work that word we was doing in the letters page. Let's talk about how much work page 20 is doing in this issue. Oh, dear God. (laughs) So Spider-Man eventually defeats the spider robot. And then we get a dizzying final page with 11 panels all crammed into one page where Spider-Man lands and we never really get any sense of what's going on. The Avengers all get free. Apparently, they've all been webbed up at various times. They all get out of the webbing. They all talk to each other. They realize that Kang is behind this. No indication of how they could possibly realize that Kang is behind this. They said, we have only met one foe capable of creating so perfect a robot, Dr. Doom. No, Kang, who we've never seen create a robot at all. And then they're talking about that. Now, presumably, at some point, they meet up with Spider-Man and offer him a ride home. Not like they have a jet. They all had to get there through catches, catch can methods. And then we cut to Kang. <laughs> like Marvel panels, it doesn't matter who the Marvel artist is. Moping has to be one of your big skills as a Marvel artist. And we get slump-shouldered Mopey Kang in the final panel in a truly tiny panel crammed in. That last panel of the story, if you said, oh, draw a picture where the caption could be kicks rocks. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, who boy, this last page. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I I, I was basically just going to gloss over this because like, and then, you know, they just sort of wrap it up. But yeah, this last page, that's something. Yeah. A lot, a lot happens there. Well, if they if they redid the issue at the last moment, you know, redid the last the back half of the book, despite the fact that page nineteen is a nine panel page, it really does feel big and empty. And like you know, you could have pushed some of that stuff on page twenty back onto here. You know what I mean? Well, especially because Spider Man can basically fly on this page. Both Spider Man and the Spider Man robot are made themselves web wings and are flying through the air. So that's well and, that's, and, and uh, you know you know how I feel about that kind of thing. I do. So uh yeah, that's another reason that page yeah, def- desperately should have once they realized how much Like, heck, just ran out of room. He had been asked to add an additional element to the story. Hopefully, he had not finished running the story. Hopefully, he had, like, turned in the first half of the pages. And then Stan was like, uh, Don, you ever going to have the real Spider-Man show up? And then heck was changing it as he went and then just ran out of time, ran out of room. And for a while, Avengers stories were 22 pages. So maybe he was thinking he had 22 pages and (laughs) ended up with having to cram it all into the final page. Who knows? You know, it's interesting how much they're Kang in issue eight, Wonder Man in issue nine, Immortus, who is a variation of Kang in issue 10, and now Kang again in issue 11. Zemo is still probably officially the major villain of the Avengers, but Kang is quickly getting to be number two, and Zemo is about to be killed off, and then Kang will last and last right up until the upcoming Avengers movie in which he'll be the big villain. Yep. Okay. Yeah, this is, this month has had some decent stuff. It's, it's, had a, it's had a wide variety of stuff in it. Stuff I really like and stuff I could have left without. Yeah, overall, I will take it. A Doctor Strange story is so great that it obviates the need for anything else to be any <laughs> good at all because it was such a good Doctor Strange story. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we, we, we will say, well, then there were some other highlights, but yes, we, we will go ahead and just leave it at that. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for uh, tuning in. And, uh, you know, as we hit the end of the holidays here, 
I don't know if we'll have any more disruptions to our schedule in the next uh, little bit, but who knows? <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, always appreciate it. Uh, take care. Stay safe out there. Happy holidays. Bye. Thanks for listening to Marvel Reread Club. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Your reviews and ratings are a great help and always appreciated. We love hearing from you. Go to MarvelRereadClub.com to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time.